One thing that I like to collect is manger scenes. I have a variety of, of different ones. You see a couple of them here in front of us today. One is from um, Central America that somebody gave to me um, somewhere along my journey. And then this other smaller one is one that is made of myrtle wood. And you can see the, the smaller one has just, it's very simple. It has Mary and Joseph and Jesus and just the star, just that being the focal point. And then this other one has all the different characters, the, the animals, the sheep and the livestock are there, the Mary and Joseph are there, the different wise men are there. I even have some major scenes that, that are a bit sentimental to me. They've been given to me by people who have long since gone on to glory. And every year when I, I get those out and, and put them out and, and display them, I think about those people and how they touched my life and, and when they gave it to me and what it meant to me in that moment. Some churches, they even depict the manger scenes. They'll, they'll have it in the front of their sanctuary and they'll begin the season of Advent with just maybe the stable. And then each week as you, you draw closer and closer to Christmas, different characters appear the stable but some churches you'll find that the magi they move around the sanctuary each week it's like they're trying to find their way they're approaching the stable but they can't quite get there just yet because epiphany hasn't happened yet it used to bother me when I would see what I call kind of strange manger scenes you know you see the ones where it's like this really pretty depiction of a manger and then Santa is kneeling at the cradle and I always thought, that's just weird. I just can't quite wrap my head around that. Or when you see these idyllic manger scenes on someone's lawn, and then there's all these big blow-up animals around it, and, and they're somewhat paying homage to the, the Christ child, but it's still just a strange sight. One of my favorite movies is Steel Magnolias, and for those of you who've seen it, there's this character, her name's Anel. And she shows up one day with this wreath, and it's just got little baby Jesuses, little plastic baby Jesuses all over the wreath. And she's so excited. She had been to the store, and they had all these mismatched manger scenes. And she says, I cleaned them out of baby Jesuses. And she just presents this wreath to them. Maybe the perfection doesn't bother me as much anymore because hopefully I'm mellowing a little bit with age. Maybe it's because I've had kids and in, in past years the characters find their way around the house not because I've put them there but because the kids have picked them up and taken them to play with, with their, their action figures and whatnot. One year Dorothy, this little ornament of Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz had followed the yellow brick road and stayed at our manger scene all season long. But for whatever reason, I've given up on perfect because God is with us in the midst of all of it. God is with us in the messy. God is with us in the manger. God is with us wherever we find ourselves. Today, as we read the scripture, the Magi do finally arrive on the scene. They weren't there when the shepherds came and, and the angels came. They weren't there on Christmas night when Jesus was born. They came later. They had followed the star. They had taken this long journey, and they finally arrived at the place where the star was, where scripture had led them. And the scripture that we read today from Matthew, it's the only one that, sh that talks about the manger. It's the only gospel that talks about the Magi being there. The thing about Matthew is he doesn't give all that many details about them. 
Instead, it's, it's people throughout the ages that have speculated about the, the Magi, about who they were, about where they came from. Many details have, have become tradition. I kind of think of it like the Golden Girls. You remember how Sophia would always say, picture it. It was Sicily, 1953. I picture the early Christians around the campfire having maybe possibly read a scroll that contained Matthew's gospel and then saying, picture it. It was Bethlehem. It was zero AD. And then they add the folklore to it. They add these details about the Magi and the three kings. You know, we're not even sure if they were three kings, if they were Magi, if they were wise men. The folklore, the tradition says they may have been astrologers. We're not even sure if there were three of them, at least three to four cities around the world claim to have at least one king that is buried there in their city. The reason we have three kings is because there were three gifts that are named in Matthew's gospel. Tradition has even named them. They have names Melchior, one of them is named Casper or Jasper, depending on where you are, and the other is Balthazar. They've even given them origins, that they came from three different kingdoms, from Persia and Ethiopia and Arabia. They've given them approximate ages, and some of it all really depends on what part of the world you're in and what customs and traditions have been passed down through your heritage or through your culture. It's all interesting. It's very fascinating information. But the question that we have to stop and ask ourselves is, does it matter within the larger story? Does it matter within the story of God, of what God wants us to take from this gospel, of what God wants to resonate within us? I don't think those little details matter so much as what matters is two different things. The first being that Jesus came for all of us. Jesus came into this world as a tiny child who grew into a man for each and every one of us. The Magi, when they arrive on the scene, when they come to the manger, they bring the Gentiles into the story of God. It's foretold in prophecy. The, the, the scripture we read today from Isaiah says, nations shall come to your light. Nations, not just the people of Israel, but nations, plural, shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Before the Magi come into the story in chapter 2 of Matthew, Matthew had been a largely Jewish story. Right out of the gate in chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew begins with Jesus' lineage. And it's a completely Jewish family tree. There's an exception. There are four non-Jewish women who are named Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. But as people were reading that, as early Christians were reading that, they, they wouldn't have given much notice to those women. Because the line of succession for any child born in the Jewish faith was through the, the men. Even though Joseph didn't have the biology to back up Jesus' birth, it still mattered that he was from the line in the house of David, that he was from a Jewish lineage. And so when the Magi enter the story, you begin to realize God truly is doing something different. As if the Immaculate Conception and the miracle of the birth and all of that didn't already just knock your socks off, it shows that God's doing something even more amazing and something even more different. 
Jesus had come not just for the people of Israel, but Jesus had come for all people. The Jewish people, as I've mentioned time and time again, they were expecting something completely different than what they got in Jesus Christ. The Savior of the world came not as a mighty warrior, but as a baby. Before he had a chance to show his personality, before he had a chance to go to school, before he has a chance to even prove himself potentially as a mighty warrior, he comes as this baby, and he's already been given a name. His name is Emmanuel. His name is God with us. God is doing something completely new and something completely different. And so why not bring the Magi into the story? I think they come into the story to break us out of these little homogenous boxes that we find ourselves in. We tend to hang out with people like us, who look like us, who act like us, who think like us. But the Magi come to show us that we should be surrounding ourselves with people of different ideas, of different cultures, of different races. We should be embracing those people and bringing them in to the kingdom of God. That's evident as Paul continues out his mission. As he writes to the church in Ephesus, he affirms the Gentiles. He calls them fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in Christ Jesus. The Gentiles are definitely a part of God's new and different and sto- different story that's unfolding right before our eyes. And then the second reason to bring them is to show just how to worship and just how to be in the presence of God. The first thing the Magi did when they arrived, they didn't break out their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, which were pretty amazing gifts, especially for a poor family like Joseph's and Mary's. Before they opened those gifts or presented them, before they sat down to chat and get to know one another, they knelt before Jesus and before Mary. They got down on their knees, and the scripture says they paid him homage. They worshiped Christ. They showed great respect and high regard for this tiny little baby that's right there before them in the manger. The second thing they did was to give him the gifts. I think the order of events in the scripture is so very important because I think all too often we forget to stop and give thanks to God. If you're like me, you have a to-do list a mile long and you're constantly trying to check those things off and move on to the next thing. And sometimes you forget to stop and turn around and look at what you've done. Sometimes you forget to stop and give God thanks for the ways in which he's led you through the different things that you have to do in your daily life. Gifts for a king are important, no doubt, but they're not as important as stopping and paying him homage. Perhaps a resolution for the coming year would be to find ways to slow down, to be intentional about giving thanks, about worshiping, about paying homage. When we follow Jesus, it should change us. We shouldn't just say, yes, I follow Jesus, but it should change us at our core. It should redirect our lives, and it should make us go home by a different road. Because sometimes God is leading us to a place that we never imagined that we might go. But he leads us there if we're willing to follow. 
We can get up, get caught up in, in the things of this world and in the power and authority of an earthly ruler like Herod, or we can focus on the gift that comes with the newborn king, on the new things that God is doing and the ways that God is guiding us. Jesus changes our path, helps us to see the world through a different lens. And when we do that, we begin to notice the wonder of God at work in our world, of the things that God is doing. The Magi, they, they followed that star in search of the divine. And we're also seeking that star, seeking to follow that light, to allow it into our life, believing that God can still work signs and wonders in our midst. For the past few years, since 2019, I began a tradition here of giving out star words or star gifts on Epiphany Sunday. It was a project that was originally begun by a clergy woman back in 2009. But the concept is, is that you take a, a star with a word written on it and you pray over that word and you use that word throughout the year to guide you, to center you, to, to let God speak through it to you. you. You often ponder what significance it may have for you in your life. And so this morning I have star words here in this basket up front. They're upside down because the idea is that, that you pick the word, but you don't actually look at it before you pick it. The word chooses you. So as you come forward this morning for communion, you can pick up a star word either before you take communion or as you return to your seat. But I invite you to pray over it in the coming year. Look it up in the dictionary to see all the, the many definitions for it. And use it to be aware of how God is working in your life. There are different words on every star. There are no two stars that are alike. But I invite you to trust the word that selects you. If for some reason you're just not having it and it's just not resonating with you before you leave, you can always exchange it for another. But I do encourage you to try to go with the one that you get. The Magi, they traveled great distances. They traveled great distances to offer gifts to the newborn king, to offer themselves to the newborn king, to seek to worship him, to seek to love him, to seek to follow him. And that star is a reminder for each and every one of us to follow him, to let him work in and through you, and to see what path he might take you down. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the example of the Magi. We give you thanks for their discernment, for their perseverance, for their wisdom. And we pray today that you would give us the faith in the inside of those Magi who grasped that important connection. When faced with an ancient hope of a foreign people, when faced with the appearance of a remarkable star, they grasped that connection and they went and they followed that star. Holy God, we stand at the border of a new year, which is kind of like an unknown country. We don't know what we'll experience as we navigate it. We don't know what obstacles will lie across our paths. But we do know that you go with us. Lead us, holy God, like the wise men on a quest, 
Lead us in the coming year on a quest of faithfulness and worship. Lead us on a quest of hopefulness and giving. Lead us always on a quest to a deeper relationship with you. We offer this prayer to you, almighty God. And now we join together as we confess our sins and give thanks that you are a God of grace who freely forgives. God of light, we have seen the glimmer of your starlight beckoning to us, but we've turned away and we've followed other paths. We've followed the dim lights of the world, the dim lights of privilege and power, the dim lights of fear, insecurity, and doubt. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not seeking the true light, the light that is your love for all the world. Forgive us for not following the ways of Jesus, who commanded us to love one another. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen our faltering steps and guide us in your holy way of peace, that we may be light bearers of love, compassion, and justice in which the mystery of your love is revealed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you. Amen. Amen.